Today I'm giving a message that I'm calling brick and mortar. Brick and mortar. Now I'm not much of a builder. It's not like I'm like a a mason or something like that. I haven't done much building in my life. I did actually take time to like design a bed and like I got my carpenter game kind of on. I did the whole experience. I went to Home Depot. I was out working out in my garage late into the evening, late at night. But I got a little too involved in my podcast this one time and Believe it or not, I actually sawed through the power cable on my skill saw. All right, electricity going everywhere, full-blown Tim Allen, home improvement. I could have died. There could have been emergency room visits. I, I made it out with my life. Now, I'm not exactly a builder, but Jesus Christ is a master builder. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it's, it's a verse that's been a huge comfort to me, a, a, a verse that's uh, been a big part of my life. It says that we are his masterpiece and that we were created in Christ for good works, which God planned beforehand that we should walk in them. Would you say this out, with, out, out loud when you say this? Say, he paid for me, he has a plan for me. He paid for me. He has a plan for me. That's powerful. But the plan that he has for you is actually a plan that he has for us. And what we're going to look in today as we talk about this this master building project that Jesus has, is we're going to move from me to we. We're going to move from me to we. Say that with me. Me to we. We're talking about this truth that we are better together. The truth is we're brighter together, we're louder together, we go further together, we move faster together, we last longer together, we are better together. And that's what uh, Paul, a guy who was actually an enemy of Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus, maybe you're here today, you don't even know if you believe in Christianity, well, Paul could relate with you because at one point he didn't believe in Christianity, But then he encountered Jesus, his life was flipped, and he's writing a letter to a church that he started in a city that I've actually visited. It'd be in modern-day Turkey. It's called Ephesus. I've gone and I've seen the ruins there. But he started a church in Ephesus, and, uh, and he's writing to them really to communicate to them that God's plan for them is one that is better together, that God has a purpose, but it involves us as a community. So look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. I think we'll have the verse on the screen for you. We'll start out in verse 14. Verse 14 says this, for he himself is our peace who's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. How amazing is that? Out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile them both to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow, hey, 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 citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. 
This is where we're getting to the Better Together building project. In him, the whole building is joined, everybody say, together, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. All right, the first thought we're going to pull out this morning, I kind of like keeping things in chunks and bullet points. First thought, if you're taking notes, you can write down as this. Jesus breaks down barriers between us. Jesus breaks down barriers between us. You know, sometimes the best building projects start off with a demolition. Sometimes the best building projects start off with a demolition, and that's the case here, because Jesus breaks down the barriers between Jew and Gentile. And that's what it's been talking about, these two groups. In my Bible, the, the, the heading that's over this whole paragraph is about the, the, the barrier and, and the peace being made, reconciliation between Jew and Gentile. Now, to those of us living in 2017 in, in Southern California, uh, the words Jew and Gentile don't mean much. You're like, what the heck does this have to do with me? Why am I taking uh, some of my time this morning, this Jew and Gentile thing? How can I relate to this? Uh, how does this have any relevance, any application? I'll tell you one word, Charlottesville. Charlottesville. Okay, this passage has a lot of application to us in 2017 because people build barriers. People build barriers. There's racial barriers there's ethnic barriers, there's cultural barriers, there's religious barriers. People might even build barriers in the name of God. There are class barriers, there are style barriers. Maybe you're in high school, mid-school here. You know, There's all kinds of different barriers that people build up. But Jesus breaks barriers down. And the Jews... They were God's chosen people. Okay, God was going to bring a Savior into the world. That's Jesus. And the Jews were the chosen people that that Savior was going to come from. But here's the thing. When God blesses you, it's always so you can be a blessing. When God blesses you, it's so that you can always be a blessing. But here's the thing. The Jews turned inward with entitlement instead of outward with excitement. They, 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 they kind of hoarded their blessings for themselves, even though that was never God's intention. You know, all the way from the very beginning, from A to Z, the Bible has rec racial reconciliation in it. From A to Z, from Genesis to Revelation, let me share it with you. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he says to Abraham, In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. See, they were never meant to hoard their blessings. They were always meant to be looking outward, always meant to be going to the next city like Beaumont. They were always meant to be going to the next place. From Genesis to Revelation, check out Revelation, it says this, you have, Re Revelation 5.9, you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. See, when the gospel was unleashed on the Roman Empire, it did so much to break down barriers between people. To break down ethnic barriers, class barriers, style barriers, all kinds of different barriers. Because there were huge barriers that existed. Uh, a historian named Livy said this, The Greeks waged a truceless war, holding all other peoples to be barbarians. 
See, the Greeks thought everybody else was a savage. Everybody else was subhuman. And the Jews weren't much better. The Jews said that anybody who wasn't a Jew was unclean and that Greeks were fuel for the fires of hell. And they had no share in the world to come. And they wouldn't even touch a Greek. If you, were, if you touched a Gentile, you were unclean, unclean, holier than thou, better than everybody else, not wanting to touch anyone. In fact, the wall that Paul kind of has in mind, archaeologists actually discovered an inscription in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem that said this. It said that there was a signpost in the, the outer wall, the court of the Gentiles, that said anybody who goes beyond, any Gentile who goes beyond this point will have no one to blame but himself for his death, which will surely follow. In other words, there was a literal wall that existed in the Jewish temple that people had built up, even though that was never God's heart. It was never God's intention. But then the gospel was unleashed in the world. The message of Jesus started spreading. You know what happened? If you went to church in the first century, you would see Greeks and Jews singing together eating together, praying together. I think it's amazing that in all the letters it says to greet one another with a holy kiss. Why? Because imagine a Jew and a Gentile. Like, like, like This would be like segregation south. This would be like apartheid in, in South Africa. All of a sudden, people who would never go near each other are hugging each other at church. That's what the name of Jesus does. Now, maybe you're here today and you don't even believe in God. Maybe you wouldn't tell anybody. Maybe you kind of keep that to yourself. Maybe your wife dragged you here. Your husband dragged you here. Your parents dragged you here. A friend, somebody. I think Citizens is the kind of church where we like to invite people. We like to welcome outsiders. It's so great that you've joined us. Even if you don't believe in God, I want you to know that you're welcome here. That this is a place you can belong before you believe. That you're welcome here. You're wanted here. But maybe you don't even believe in God, and maybe you don't know what you believe. But I would guess that as I was talking about racial reconciliation, that's something that stirred your heart. Maybe you're here, you don't believe in God, but you would say, you know what, I do care about race issues. I do care about social issues. I do care about those sorts of things. I, I, I can get behind that. I'm passionate about that. Well, I'm going to share two quotes with you from two different people who would say that equal rights don't even make sense unless you believe in God. Okay, there are two very different sources who came to that conclusion. One is the German atheist, Friedrich Nietzsche. Okay, and this is what Friedrich Nietzsche had to say. He said this, Another Christian concept, no less crazy, the concept of equality of souls before God, this concept furnishes the prototypes of all areas of equal rights. Okay, Friedrich Nietzsche. Okay, this is an atheist. This is a guy who doesn't believe in God. He recognizes that the reason why you and I in 2017 believe in equal rights is because of the, 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 the foundation that Christianity laid within Western civilization, which said that all souls are equal before God. Hey, that's Frederick Nietzsche. I'll give you another source. Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr., in his letter from Birmingham jail, he said this. How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. 
See, if you don't believe in God, you're not going to learn about human rights from looking at nature. I mean, surviving based on eating weaker organisms. You know, it's, it's, not like, it's not like the lion thinks that the other lions has rights, man. It's not, it's not like he cares about the gazelle's rights. No, the only place you're going to learn about human rights, really the, the, the only worldview that gives you the, the framework for human rights, is the Bible, is the gospel of Jesus. But, you know, uh, uh, sociologists talk about how it's not just race that we do this division with. We do it with all kinds of things. Uh, sociologists talk about how we divide the world up into what's called us and them binaries. Us and them binaries. Now, if you're into computers, you know what binary code is. Zero, one, 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 zero, zero, one, zero, one, 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 zero, one, zero, one, zero, one, 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 one. I just turned into a robot there for a brief moment. But a a social binary is kind of like that too. I wonder what a social binary is. It's this. You're a zero, and I'm number one. You're a zero, and I'm number one. You're black, I'm white. Or you're white, and I'm black. Or you're poor and I'm rich, or you're educated, you're ignorant and I'm educated. You're a Democrat, I'm a Republican. You're a pub- Republican, I'm a Democrat. You're, you're a bigot and I'm enlightened. We divide the world up into these binaries. Maybe it's like, ooh, we're the cool ones on the group text. You're the kid who's not in the group text. Us and them binaries. We divide the world up into it constantly. You're a zero, I'm number one. You know that the message of Jesus, the message of grace, is the only place in the entire world that shatters all binaries, that cracks the binary code. Because the message of Jesus says that we're saved completely by sheer grace. What is it? What? It's a famous verse. Maybe you've heard it before. It says in this, Romans 3, 22 and 23, For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For there is no difference. And what the Bible says, it says that we're all zeros, but Jesus made us one. And this is the kind of place that exists to see outsiders become insiders. That you're welcome here. Even if you, you're still wrestling through faith issues, you're wanted in this place. You're wanted in this church because Jesus always takes outsiders and makes them insiders. He takes outcasts and makes them family. So Jesus breaks down barriers between us. He breaks down barriers between us. The next thought is this. You can't follow Jesus by yourself. Let's put verse 21 on the screen. You can't follow Jesus by yourself. It says, In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Maybe you're here and you're wondering, you know, somebody invited you to church and you're like, It's 2017. What's the even point of going to church? 
I mean, I, I'm into Jesus, but going to church really isn't my thing. I mean, I, I'm just more spiritual. I could read the Bible by myself. I could get those fire podcasts, download them like you were, Jesse, when you sawed through your power cord. That was kind of dumb. But, you know, we, you could just do the podcast thing, just do the Bible thing. What's the point of even going to church? I'll tell you, it says right here, we are better together. We are better together. You can't be a temple by yourself. We're each a brick that's being built. The sum is greater than the parts. We're being built up together into a holy dwelling place in the spirit. Jesus put it like this in John 13, 35. He says, by this, all will know that you're my disciples, my followers, by your love for one another. I'm sorry, bro. Like, you can totally worship God out at the coast surfing, but you can't love one another. You, you, you can totally, like, yeah, you can read your Bible by yourself, but you can't live the Bible by yourself. All will know that you're my followers. Why? By the way you love each other. You can't do that all holed up in your room by yourself. There are over 60 one another statements in the New Testament. It says that we should eat with one another, share with one another, serve one another, greet one another, speak to one another, be at peace with one another, carry one another's burdens, forgive one another, be kind to one another, honor one another, receive one another, encourage one another, care for one another, be patient with one another, comfort one another, think of one another, build up one another, challenge one another, warn one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. We are better together. And Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his church like a pregnant lady loves food, man. <laughs> like he loves his church. And I know that because my wife's pregnant. <laughs> but like Jesus loves his church. In fact, Ephesians would say that, that the church is like the bride of Christ. Okay? And, and you're like, yeah, I'm kind of into God. I'm kind of into Jesus. I'm not into church. Man, what if you came and said that to me? What if you're like, hey, Jesse, I like you, but I hate your freaking wife. Man, you would have a problem. You can't love Jesus and not love his church. And, and I know that, that it can be difficult because people are difficult. People got problems. But the truth is we are better together. Yeah, technically you can be saved and not go to church. That's a fact. You can. Just like it's possible to be a sailor without a ship, I guess, or, or a kicker without a football team, or Ringo without the Beatles. Yeah, it's possible, but it just ain't that good. <laughs> We're better together. Christians need one another. In fact, our society, as less and less people are going to church, is experiencing a crisis, a health crisis. Just this past August, the American Association of Psychology got together and, and they declared a state of emergency saying that the next health crisis facing the United States is loneliness. Loneliness. Loneliness will affect out health outcomes just as bad as smoking or obesity. There's a 26% greater mortality rate for people who are lonely. And what's, what's fascinating here is that the most lonely people are people under 35, the people who are most skilled at using technology. You see, loneliness is lethal. Uh, they, they, they said this, that, that the general social survey 
found that the number of Americans with no close friends has tripled, tripled since 1985. Less Americans are getting married than ever before, and less Americans are going to church than ever before, and yet this loneliness is actually a health crisis. Loneliness will kill you. Loneliness is lethal. And it's possible to be the life of the party and still be lonely. You could be the life of the party and still be lonely. And the social media doesn't help. I mean, Sherry Turkle, she wrote a book called Alone Together. And she says what's happening is through social media and texting, we're getting sips of chatter, but no real conversation. We're not getting the real meaningful connection that we need. And on social media, it's always post the best, hide the rest. Post the best, hide the rest. And when Chris is up here, or, or Yeshu is up here, or, or Dustin, or Steve, or Tatum's up here, and they're talking about joining a C team, you know that it's not because they want something from you. They want something for you. Yeah, you could put your hands together for that. You could celebrate that. That's why we're so passionate here at Citizens about, about C groups and C teams because the, the connection that you are craving is found in community. The love of God displayed among the people of God is the cure for loneliness. Grace sets you free to quit being fake. It sets you free to be real with one another. That it's not all photoshopped, post the best, hide the rest, but that you could honestly have real relationships. I mean, uh, every issue that I've worked through in my Christian life has been in the context of loving relationships that I've found at church. Because if we're saved by grace, and and we know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it's not like at your job where you're like, oh, I got to pretend like I'm toeing the line. I got to pretend like I've got it all together. I'm very professional. I've got everything. No, at church, you can make relationships where you can just be like real, like, man, life is brutal right now. This this is so hard, or I screwed up, or I, I did this. Will you help me? Will you pray for me? Those are the kind of relationships that you need. That's why you need to join a C team. That's why you got to get into a C group. And that's why people in our schools, people in our workplaces, people in our families are thirsty for what is being put on display here. See, the purpose of a temple is it supposed to be a place where people can come and find access to God? And there are people all around you. That's, that's why you got to be inviting people to the Beaumont campus. That's why you got to be inviting people to those things because you, you, they may not even realize it, but they're thirsty for what we have here. There are people thirsty, craving what's going on here. All right, so the first thought was that Jesus breaks down barriers between us. Next thought was you can't follow Jesus by yourself. Because we're better together, man. They'll know us by our love for one another. And then our next thought is this. Real life change takes real relationships. All right, there's a psychologist named Alan Deutschman who wrote a book called this. It's a great title. I know what he called this book. He called it Change or Die. Whoa, that'll get your attention. He, and he literally meant this. He looked at tons and tons of data uh, from from people with heart disease problems where their doctor comes to him and says, you need to change your diet or you're going to die. He looked at people with smoking habits, people with alcoholism, uh, felons who were repeat offenders. They'd go to jail and they'd go back to, they'd go back to their gangs, go back to their, their life of crime, go back to their drugs. He looked at all these different people 
And, they, and he looked at what tactics are typically used to get people to change. And the tactics that are typically used, he said, are three things. Fear, facts, or force. Fear, facts, or force. Fear is kind of being like, kind of like the title of the book, change or die, right? You're, you're smoking. Here's a, guy, here's a picture of a guy with a hole in his throat, a tracheotomy. You're going to get lung cancer. You're going to die. Okay, that's fear. Then there's facts. It's kind of like, well, this is what happens to your body when you drink alcohol. You get cirrhosis of the liver. This is how many Americans have cirrhosis of the liver. That's facts. And then there's force. And force is like, I'm going to come in your house. I'm going to throw your cigarettes away. I'm going to pour your alcohol down the drain. Well, I know what he discovered in his book, Change or Die, Alan Deutschman, is this. That the secret sauce for lasting change, because all those methods will get you to change for a little while. But the only way to find lasting change wasn't fear, facts, or force. I wonder what it was? Friendship. Friendship. That, that if a, a convict got out of jail and they made a friend who would relate to them and hang out with them and, and spend time with them and show them a better way to live. If, if somebody uh, you know, with alcohol problems actually found somebody who was maybe in recovery, who would hang out with them, who would spend time with them, go into groups, that that was the secret sauce for change. And there might be some of you here, the reason why you're in church is because you desperately want to change. You want to get free from that addiction to porn that's ruining your marriage. You want to get free from that addiction to, to that drug or, or, or it could be any number of things. And you're here and you desperately want to change because you've been wrestling with the same thing for years. Well, I want to tell you what has freed me from sins in my life, addictions in my life, because sin makes us addicts. James 5.16, you should memorize this verse. It says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is nothing more exhausting than pretending to be perfect. There is nothing more freeing than a connection of confession. Still to this day, I get in a fight with my wife. You know what I do? I call up a friend. I tell him what's going on. We pray for each other. And through that solidarity, you see, it took a squad to get you in. It'll take a squad to get you out. It took peer pressure to get you into those habits. It'll take peer pressure to get you out of those habits. And that's why you got to join a C group. And not just join it, but stick to it. Commit to it. You go, I don't have time. You know what? I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to tell you this. You may need to make less commitments so you can be more committed to more important things. You may need to cut out some of the other, but I want to have time to watch 27 episodes of Netflix every week. It's like, yeah, you won't. You're going to be a C team. But I will tell you, you'll be so glad that you made that commitment. And you got to show up whether you feel like it or not. Because your feelings can trick you. Your feelings can rob you. Your feelings can deceive you. you got to do it by faith and the feelings will follow. Do it by faith and the feelings will follow. Do it by faith and the feelings will follow. You'll begin to change. You know, maybe your, your, your C group just started this week. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to be weird at first. That C group's going to be awkward. It'll be weird and then it'll be worth it. It'll be awkward, but then it'll be awesome. If you just stick with it, you stick with those relationships, it will start to change you. you know, I think there's a kind of a cool illustration of all this from nature. 
And I went to the Redwoods up in Northern California uh, not too long ago, and, and it is breathtaking. I mean, trees taller than this building, much taller than this building, 300 feet in the air. You know, you've probably seen trees so wide you can drive a car underneath them. But one you might not know about Redwoods is that the reason why Redwoods are able to grow up is because they grow down. See, they spread out roots that don't go particularly deep, but you know what their roots do? They go 100 feet wide. Those redwood trees, they put out roots, and one know what happens in those forests. Their roots start to intertwine and weave together. In fact, redwood trees, their roots fuse together. So when you look at a redwood tree forest, you're actually looking oftentimes at one living organism because they are so interconnected that they've become one. And because of that, they're able to last for centuries. They're able to withstand floods and gale force winds and keep rising higher and higher and higher. Yeah, like almost like a glorious temple. They rise up. And some of you... You've never put roots down, and that's why you're not growing up. And I'm going to compare that. I'm from the desert, okay? I'm from New Mexico. And some of us live our Christian lives like, not like redwood trees. We live our Christian lives like tumbleweeds, okay? Tumbleweeds. And you're like, I don't want to make commitments. I don't want to be committed to that. No, I'm just going to blow free. I'm just going to, maybe I'll go to Citizens this week. Maybe I'll go to a different church next week. Maybe I'll go to a different place. And you're like, I'm a tumbleweed. I'm free. Yeah, you're free, but you're dead. And if you want to grow up, you got to put roots down. And so I'm inviting you to be committed to this church, to be committed to your C team, to be committed to your C group, because if you want to grow up, you got to put roots down. All right, so we'll go through the points just one more time. Jesus breaks down barriers between us. You can't follow Jesus by yourself. Real life change takes real relationships. And then finally, he died alone so we could live together. He died alone so we could live together. You know, I read an interesting article years back, and I just saved it. From an actor, you'd recognize him. He was in The Hobbit. He was in Sherlock Holmes. He was in V for Vendetta. He was in Alice in Wonderland. But this actor, he attempted suicide. And this is what he said. He said this, lonely? How could I be lonely? I get invitations through the post almost every day. I'm going to be at the Royal Box at Wimbledon. I have serious and generous offers from friends who want to invite me to the south of France, to Italy, to Sicily, to South Africa, to British Columbia, and to America this summer. I have two months before I start a play at Broadway. What right do I have to be lonely, unhappy, or forlorn? I don't have the right. But feelings aren't such a thing that you have rights to. Feelings are just feelings. In the end, my loneliness is the most terrible and contradictory of my problems. See, we all long for deep, unconditional relationships. We long for that. We long for somebody who will love us no matter what, who will, who will know us to the bottom and love us to the skies. That's what that actor craves. That's what he, he loved. But you know, there's something that prevents that. 
There's something that you feel it in your marriages, you feel it in your friendships at school, you feel it maybe even on your team or in your C group, it'll creep in, that dissolves relationships. And what it is, it's, it's what the Bible calls sin. And the Bible says that sin separates. Sin separates families. Sin separates friends. Sin separates marriages. Sin separates churches. Sin separates nations. Sin separates races. Sin separates classes. And ultimately, the Bible says that sin will separate you from God forever. Sin separates. But you know, there's somebody who came and he died alone so that we could live together. See, the Bible says that God loves us so deeply, so completely, that he knew us to our darkest parts. And being a God of justice, he couldn't just be like, well, forget about all that darkness, forget about all that filth, forget about it, just, just, it's okay, just love. No, he's a God of justice. And if you've ever been wronged, you know what it's like to need justice. If somebody's really hurt you, you can't just let it go. You want justice, and God wants justice. But what Jesus Christ did on the cross was he took our justice so we could have God's grace, so we could have God's forgiveness. And Jesus, he died of utter isolation. You see, loneliness is lethal. The Bible says that all of his closest friends bailed on him, that everybody flaked, that everybody fled. And as darkness came over the cross, as darkness swept over the land for three long hours, Jesus cried out, out of that darkness, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ was forsaken so that you could be forgiven. He experienced cosmic loneliness. He was abandoned by both God and man, forsaken by both his friends and his father. Jesus Christ was cast out so that you could be brought in. And maybe you're here today and something I've said has struck a chord with you. And you're looking for that deep love. Maybe you've got thousands of followers or maybe you don't at all. Maybe you, you are the life of the party, but you can relate with that actor. You, you know that deep loneliness. Well, Jesus, he died in loneliness so that you, wanted, you could live with his love. He died so that you could experience something that, that could transform your life, that could ch- give you purpose in this life and, and hope in the afterlife. And I want to give you an opportunity right now to be honest You know, what I found about life is that oftentimes the start is the hardest part. That first step, that that you're procrastinating for so long about something, but it's that that first initial step. That's the, the hardest step. And so here at Citizens, what we often do is we give people an opportunity to, to kind of give them a boost to that first step of just, it's, it's a moment of honesty, a moment of humility saying, you know what, I want Jesus to pay my debt I want Jesus to fill me with his love. I want to be filled with purpose. If you want to do that right now, I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to ask you on the count of three to just shoot your hand up in the air just as an act of honesty. God, I pray you'd give these people courage just to be honest with you. Maybe it's weird that they can't see you, but you're the author of the story. You're separate from us, but you're near to us. You're near to us the way a painter is near to his painting. And God, you hear our voice right now. 
I pray you'd give people courage just to call out to you and to lift their hand, just so that they'd be filled with your love and your forgiveness. I just ask you to do this on the count of three. If this is you, if you want God's love in your life, you want to accept what Jesus did for you on the cross, I'm just going to ask you on the count of three, just shoot your hand up in the air. One, Jesus, he died for you. Not just for the world, he died for you too. He is risen from the dead. He is able to save you. Three, would you just raise your hand up in the air? Just being honest. See a few hands going up, it's amazing. Maybe you feel a little nervous about it. Maybe you didn't expect this today. Just lift your hand in the air. It's just, a, it's just an act of honesty. That's all it is. Just raise that hand in the air. It's beautiful. I see some hands going up. Spectacular. Well, this is the start. This is the beginning of everything. And any relationship, it begins with talking. It just begins with honesty. And so I'm just going to pray something out loud. It's not a magic spell. You're just talking to God. You're talking to your creator. Would you just say this out loud to him? Maybe we could pray it all together to support them. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I've gone my own way. That ends in death. But I believe in Jesus, that he died my death, that he paid my debt, and that he's risen from the dead. Would you be my savior? Would you be my Lord? It's amazing. Amen, amen. Can we celebrate in here? Spectacular.